Hello and welcome to the Queen's Reading Room podcast, the place where we step into the reading rooms with other lovers of literature to collect their bookish confessions. Today we take a hop, skip and a jump across the pond to meet an American writer whose exceptional book, Bel Canto, won both the Penn Faulkner Award in 2022 and the Orange Prize for Fiction in the same year. She is a greatly talented and adored novelist whose books include The Magician's Assistant, Commonwealth, The Dutch House and Tom Lake. Her audiobooks have been read by Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and her fame extends to being the joint founder of Parnassus Books, a popular and well-known bookstore in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Vicky Perrin, Chief Executive of the Queen's Reading Room, and today I invite you to step into the reading room of... I'm Anne Patchett. ...to explore the books she simply couldn't live without. We began with the books she has recently fallen in love with at first sight. I know very quickly whether or not it's a book that I want to read. If a book doesn't have me from hello, I I toss it. And nothing in the world is in my mind stupider, there just is no other word, than when somebody will say to me, Oh, but you know, you just have to stick with it because it really gets great at about page 100. I could care less if it gets great on page 100. It needs to get great on page one. In certain books, I am very good about buying in multiple. A great example of that is James McBride's first book, The Color of Water which is a book that I call a universal donor. If a person hasn't read a book in 10 years, they will love the color of water. If someone has just finished their doctorate in English literature and they read 50 books a week, they will love the color of water. It is the book for absolutely everyone. And while we're on that topic, let me just say that one of my favorite books of this year is James McBride's new book, which is called The Heaven and Earth Grocery. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you another great story. I gave a quote to an editor, and then she did the worst thing she could possibly do. By return FedEx, she sent me another book she wanted a blurb for. That's the worst. The people who you do a favor for And then before you have even turned around, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need one more favor. And she sent me a galley called Sorrow and Blessed by Meg Mason. I was so angry because I had just done this woman a favor, but I had also just emptied the recycle bin. And I thought, I am so mad at you, nameless editor. I am not even going to stick this book in a little free library. I am going to take this right down the back stairs, down the driveway, and put it in the recycle bin. And seriously, while I was walking down the back steps, I opened it. I started to read it. I stopped. I sat down on the last step of my back stairs and read the first chapter, went inside, read the book. Not only is that one of my, definitely one of my favorite books in the last five years, probably in the last 20 years, I love that book 
so passionately. And that was a book that during the pandemic, when so many people said to me, I've lost my ability to read. I can't focus. I can't concentrate. And I would say, I've got you. I know exactly what you need. And I would put a copy of Sorrow and Bliss in their hands. And it was the book that got so many people through the pandemic. And I uh, actually, Meg Mason wrote me a thank you note. Then I wrote back to her. Then we started writing back and forth. And I would say now Meg Mason is one of my best friends. And I am going to Australia in May to see Meg. And she's already been to Nashville to see me. Isn't that a great story? So sometimes, sometimes against all odds, it's like meeting somebody in a bar. <laughs> you look across a crowded room and your eyes meet and you think, you, in this room full of idiots, I want nothing to do with you, you, I will love. Described by her friend and author of Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert, as a woman of wisdom, determination, generosity and courage, Anne Patchett in 2011 opened an independent bookshop, Parnassus Books, in Nashville, Tennessee. Since then, she's become an international spokesperson for independent bookshops and was named in 2012 by Time magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Her life is filled with books. But what does she make the time to reread? And which books has she simply failed to get along with? Because I have so much reading to do, it's really rare that I get to reread something. It's an enormous gift when I do get to reread. Um, Our Town, the play by Thornton Wilder, which Tom Lake is really based on, is a play that I have come back to again and again throughout my life. I love it so much, but there are very few books that I reread just because I don't have the time. Um, I've gone back to The Great Gatsby many times, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I've gone back to certain Toni Morrison novels again and again. Uh, but I'll tell you where I will reread is sometimes if I read something that I absolutely adore, I will then listen to it. And that is a huge treat. I remember when I read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. I was so bereft when I finished that book. And really just on a lark, I was cleaning house one day, my hobby. Uh, I thought I'm going to download it and I'm just going to listen to a little bit of it. And I wound up listening to the whole thing. Every time I was making dinner or driving to the post office, I would put it back on again. And it was such a huge comfort. And I've also had the great, great experience of reading a book by a friend and reading to find out what was going to happen. This happened to me twice recently. Once was with Kevin Wilson's last book, Now Is Not the Time to Panic. And also with Elizabeth McCracken's most recent book, The Hero of This Book, as soon as I was finished reading, I was going on some long driving trip and they were both short books and I downloaded them and I listened to them. And it was such a gift because the first time I'm reading to find out what happens and then to listen to it and to see what they were doing, to see structurally their enormous 
intelligence for writing and organization and character development and dialogue, I could just be dazzled by their work in a way that I, I, I loved it the first time, but it was like a different part of my brain was loving it. And I will also say, I have a recording of Nicole Kidman reading to the lighthouse. And if I'm sick, all I want to do is listen to that recording. Just I'll get to the end. And I just started over again. It's so brilliant. Everybody else's recording of To the Lighthouse is six and a half hours and Nicole's is five hours because she reads it so fast and with such blistering intelligence. And I don't know, it just it transports me every time and comforts me in the same way. I think that some people will listen to music. I will listen to her reading To the Lighthouse. All right, this is my big confession. I've never finished Mental March. I feel really, 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 I'm not even joking. I feel terrible about it. I have friends who read Middle March every year, and I don't think I've ever gotten past page 300. And I know how good it is. And I want to read Middle March, but every time it just defeats me. And and then the other books are piling up, piling up, piling up. And I finally think, okay, all right, I'll try again next year. Um, I was that way with Moby Dick for a long time. And then I went to Italy for a month when I was in my 30s. And I just brought Moby Dick with me. And I read it. And it was, in fact, you know, one of the best books I've ever read in my life. And I feel that Middlemarch... It's going to be that for me if I can just get through it. Hey, there's a book that I reread. That was that was the most interesting reread because I read Anna Karenina when I was in my 20s, when I was right out of college. And I loved Anna and Vronsky and Kitty and the peasants and Levin bored me to tears. And then when I read it again, probably in my late 40s, maybe I was 50, I could not stand Anna and Vronsky. They were shallow and selfish and absolutely dreadful people. And Corinnan, Anna's husband, is, is the hero of the book. I thought he was the villain of the book. And I loved Kitty and Levin and the peasants. The books don't change. We change. And books that are right for a certain time in our life are not necessarily right at another time. I see, I think that I'm aging into middle March, but there are other books, the great example being One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. When I was in my 20s, and I was a teacher. I used to teach One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey every year. I thought it was absolutely the great American novel. I read it a few years ago. I hated it. I mean, not just like mildly disliked it. I hated it. Well, the book hadn't changed. I just changed. In 2023, Anne Patchett published her latest book, Tom Lake. 
described as a meditation on youthful love, married love, and the lives parents have led before their children were born, the audiobook was read rather spectacularly by actress Meryl Streep. But what does Anne read when she's writing? And what's she working on now? When I'm starting to write a book, or when I'm in the long process of thinking about writing a book, I will have a list of books that I want to read. Because for whatever reason, they're just books that remind me a little bit of what I'm trying to do. So sometimes you're reading for research, but other times you're reading because you feel that there's a book in your memory that's kind of the soulmate to the book you have in mind. And so I will start to read those books. And I can tell you the book that I have not written a word of. Um, I can tell you the books that I am reading or want to reread. They're all super short and a lot of children's books, actually. And the book I want to write is not a children's book. But Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan. Now, if you think about those three books, they are the same book. Those three stories follow a very similar path. Also, Catcher in the Rye, Salinger, and Alain Foreigner, The Lost Estate. Author of nine novels, numerous short stories, four nonfiction books, and two children's books, storytelling is a theme that has run deeply and richly throughout Anne's life. But what does reading others' work mean to her? When I was in graduate school in Iowa, I was coming home and I had a very, very heavy suitcase because it was full of zinc plates because I was taking a printmaking class. And um, it was a time before airport security and I was incredibly lost. And this very handsome young man came up to me and said, you look like you're lost. I said, I'm lost. And he looked at my airplane ticket. He said, you're really lost. I'll walk you to your gate. And he had on a pink Oxford shirt and khaki pants. And while we were walking and he took my suitcase and he was carrying it for me. And while we were walking, he told me that he was a Hare Krishna and that he was working in the airport. And my plane, of course, was two hours late when we got to the gate and he sat with me for two hours and he talked to me about God. He talked to me about God and, and being a Hare Krishna for two hours. And I will always remember that he said to me, Imagine that you love God so much that you would be willing to stand in an airport all day, every day, to tell people about this enormous love that you feel that they could have access to if they open their hearts to it. And that's the way I feel about reading. I really feel like I would be happy to stand in an airport and hand out books. It is the greatest joy, solace, comfort of my life. My friend Katie Camillo was here this weekend and we were talking about this. And this has been true with a lot of friends. And we say, okay, tomorrow, either you can't write anymore or you can't read anymore. And 100% of us say, oh, writing, let, let it go. 
I, I don't know how to be in the world without books. It's, it is my joy and my love and the place that I go. And the idea that people don't have that is terrifying to me. I mean, in the same way that the idea that people don't have God was terrifying to that very sweet Hare Krishna in the airport. A lot of the work that I do in my life is just to make sure that people can get books. Either they buy them at the bookstore, but I also have a foundation where I buy books for children in schools where the children don't have enough money to own their own books and bring authors, children's authors into those schools so they can meet an author and have a signed copy of a book that they can own and it's theirs. Uh, I have learned a lot of this from Kate DiCamillo, but books are what I would wish for the world. I think that if we got away from screens and opinions that are generated in two seconds and went back to books and started looking at a quieter, more measured view of life, a gentler, warmer, more loving view of life, then I think that things would probably be a lot better. And as we close, because all I ever want to do is recommend books, I'm going to tell you what I am reading right now which a bookseller who I had never met in San Francisco sent me this book. And this is the crazy thing. Like all these books are coming in. And then for whatever reason, and this book has been out for years, I thought, yes, I'm going to read you for, I just feel it. And it's called, this is happiness by Niall Williams. It's an Irish novel and it is happiness. It's so beautiful and smart and funny. And it's about hardly anything at all. It's quiet. It's calming. It's enriching. It's engaging. Um, it's everything a book should be. This is happiness. That's what we need. Anne loves to listen to Virginia Woolf's masterpiece, To the Lighthouse, for comfort. Some time ago, another great American author was a guest of the Queen's Reading Room and also spoke of his great love for Virginia Woolf. In this clip, the brilliantly talented Michael Cunningham recounts his first encounter with Woolf and how it led him to become a writer. I was not an especially bookish kid. I grew up in Los Angeles and went to a barely adequate school um, where we read very simple sort of elementary books and um, was enjoined by a girl I had a crush on. I bet every, I bet every school in every nation has this girl. Um, she was beautiful and mean and, and tall and smart and, and, um, a mysterious older boy picked her up in a Mustang after school every, that girl, who I believe is universal. And um, I was talking to her, trying desperately to get her to fall in love with me, which I knew even at the time was really futile. But we got to talking about Virginia Woolf, who she was reading 
outside the curriculum. You know, believe me, they didn't teach Virginia Woolf at at my at my crummy little L.A. school. And in order to be more impressive to her, I thought, well, I will read Virginia Woolf. And I went to the library, the trailer on cinder blocks where the books were kept at my school. Um, and the only book of Virginia Woolf's that was in the library was Mrs. Dalloway. You know, if I say I read it, I have to say that I attempted to read it. And in my unschooled, to my unschooled 15-year-old mind, it didn't make any sense. I could not penetrate it. I could not figure out what was going on. Yes, she'll buy the flowers herself and all of that. But what I was very much aware of was the incredible complexity and grace and balance of those sentences. I had never read prose like that. And I remember thinking, oh, she was doing with language something like what Jimi Hendrix does with a guitar. I didn't know you could do that with language. And it really began to make me become a reader, which ultimately, years later, led me to become a writer. Um, and I wanted more than anything before I started the hours, what I wanted was to try to write a novel, preferably an unboring novel, about the impact that a, reading a book can have on a life. It's time for our weekly exploration of the Queen's Own Reading Room. This time we asked, does your majesty ever reread books? And if so, have you found yourself getting something totally different from a book at a different point in your life? I'm quite a fast reader, so if you read fast, you do miss out on a few things. So if I reread a book, I try and slow down a bit. And then I think, oh, you know, that's extraordinary. I don't, don't remember that from the last time. So, no, I do reread. I, I, I think it's very useful to reread a book. You, you do, you get something, you always get something else out of it. There's always another dimension. Just before we go, let's hear a favourite line of literature from one of our guardians of this nation's reading rooms, Sarah, Programme Manager at Libraries Connected. Once upon a memory, at the far end of the Mediterranean Sea, there lay an island so beautiful and blue that the many travellers, pilgrims, crusaders and merchants who fell in love with it either wanted never to leave or tried to tow it with hemp ropes all the way back to their own countries. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Queen's Reading Room podcast. We're a charity on a mission to spread the joy of books and reading. You can find out more about what the Queen is reading and what she recommends by joining her book club on Instagram at the Queen's Reading Room or by checking out our website, thequeensreadingroom.co.uk for more fabulous literary treasures. 
See you next time when we enroll in some lessons in chemistry with author Bonnie Garmus. 